This week, we discuss the emerging legal Jamaican cannabis market, some prohibition history, and a few things about Rastafarians that might surprise you. Coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. name is Tristan Thompson. I am from Jamaica, Westmoreland to be specific. Currently, I own a company called Takaya. Some mighty fine and heavy Jamaican bass brought to you by Titan Sound, part of a mix called Tune Up, which is Jamaican patois for excellent. That's right, we're going to be talking a lot about Jamaica and cannabis culture on the rock, as the locals refer to it. Most of you have certainly heard of Bob Marley and Peter Tosh, and I'm sure you are well aware of Dreadlock Rastas and Rastafarianism, the famous bobsled team, and all the other cultural exports to have come out of Jamaica. But there's so much more to the country and cannabis culture than the stereotypes in pop culture lead us to believe. Many people outside of Jamaica also think that the island nation of 3 million people is a toker's paradise, where ganja has been legal forever, and that cannabis is a part of everyone's breakfast against the background of reggae music. So we have a few myths to clear up, but I think most listeners will be positively surprised by what this week's guest is about to share with us. Tristan Thompson is the Chief Opportunity Explorer of the Takaya Group, a Jamaican consulting firm that assists canapreneurs with license acquisition, accessing products, and compliance training. He is also part of Blue Eye Ventures, a company that supplies high-quality products for agricultural and horticultural purposes throughout Jamaica and the Caribbean. They also offer a mix of complementary products to the emerging medical cannabis market. That's right, medical cannabis is now available in Jamaica as well. To get a better grasp of the situation down there, I asked Tristan to clarify the status of cannabis in Jamaica and its significance to the local culture. As far as cannabis is concerned, I can only provide you a history in my own um, opinion or interpretation of, um, of what is. So as it relates to when the first plant was planted here and those kind of information, I wouldn't be the person to get that information from. But what I can tell you is just um, share with you is pretty much the, the the connection of the Jamaican people to to cannabis, how it's been used, and uh, what what what's, what it means to us as um, culturally, economic wise, and uh, going forward. So uh, 
before 2015, when we were able to get the Dangerous Drug Act passed, Jamaica was also following suit with the rest of the world as it relates to prohibition. So cannabis uh, was illegal to, to here in Jamaica, just the same like everywhere else. Um, to be caught with a spliff could mean jail time, serious jail time. And here in Jamaica, when it, when it come on to the police during that period, they were very brutal. So you know you're going to get some licks. You would be, uh, so you, uh, for, for a, a lack of a better term, you'll be abused by, by the police uh, for, for that reason. Now, when we talk about Bob Marley and cannabis, Bob Marley uh, became, he, he was a Rastafari. So Rastas here in Jamaica have a, a sacred, more of a sacred or spiritual connection to cannabis because they consider it um, their sacrament. Now, they were persecuted quite a bit, and they were also some of the strongest advocacy for cannabis as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. um, our, our government here, when um, in 20... Well, the advocacy really started in 2014, when we started, when um, things started to happen around the world where governments were now changing, whether it's at the state level or uh, uh, state level uh, or federal level, we, we saw the change coming out, uh, going on around the world, and we actually um, decided, well, okay, the time was right. So we, we started to, to, to lobby the government to get the change that we needed. We wanted to get, um, to get legalization, but decriminalization, because of our commitments to the international treaties and so forth, was deemed as the best approach at the time. So what we were able to get passed in 20, 2015 was uh, an amendment to our Dangerous Drug Act, which permitted the legal establishment of um, a cannabis industry. It would be a medical cannabis industry, whereby which they, they would permit cultivation, retail, research, processing, export, but export uh, didn't come about until this year, and, um, and, uh, and uh, transportation. So at the time, there was five licensing type, five licensing type that was available, and and currently it also de decriminalized the possession of of two ounces. So a person who would normally have just a spliff, which is less than a gram, would actually um, get jail time. No, they wouldn't get jail time. They'll if they are caught with less than uh, than um, two ounces, they would get ticketed. So they'll get a ticket. However, our government has not taken any step to actually create those tickets. So no ticket has, has been issued uh, for cannabis since decriminalization. Now, a person also is allowed, is allowed to cultivate up to five plants um, at their home. So if you have it at your home and a police come there, you won't be ticketed or anything to that effect. You will only be ticketed if you're in a public space. So while you're at home, you can have your two, your, your two ounces and you can have your five plants. That's, that's not a problem. All right? Mm -hmm. Now, for the commercial, commercialization of, of, the, of the, the plant, they issue licenses. So for, for cultivation, there are three tiers of license. There's tier one, tier two, and tier three. Each one is determined, each tier is determined, determined by the amount of acres you, you intend to actually produce. So tier one uh, would be one acre, tier two would be up to five acres, and tier three is five or more acres, all right? Mm -hmm. So depending on how big you want to get, they decide, um, determine the, the tier. As it relates to processing, there's two tiers. 
there is a tier one and tier two. Tier one is up to 3,000 square feet. And then, and then anything bigger than that would be, would be a, tier, a tier two. All right. When it comes to retail, we have two types of retail. In terms of retail, you could do an on-site, consum- on-site consumption because, as you know, Jamaica is a tourist location, and we want to, to, to allow entrepreneurs to be able to develop their, their, their cannabis experience around tourism and to really allow persons to really ex- engage in the whole culture or therapeutics of cannabis, as well as um, to really be able to access their medicine in a safe and secure uh, location. So we have on-site consumption, and then we also have off-site consumption. This is where a person will uh, they will purchase at the, at the herb house. We call it a herb house instead of a dispensary or tea shop to what they may have in Europe. We call it a herb house. So the herb house, uh, you, you can have an on-site consumption herb house or off-site consumption herb house, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the purpose of the transportation license is really to to facilitate the transfer of, of cannabis, whether it's, um, it's extracts or the actual flow from one licensed location to another licensed location, right? The cultivate, the, the transporter cannot purchase cannabis just like that. They'll actually have to just build a business model around transportation. What we are seeing is that the bigger guys, they would have a vertical integrated um, system where they have a cultivation, they have cultivation, they have transportation, they have re- retail, research, and um, export licenses or permit. That's uh, more how the, the industry is, um, is set up currently. Now, persons can use cannabis for two purposes. One is for medicinal purposes. This is whereby which a recommendation is required from a, from, a, from a doctor. Or two, a person can use it for therapeutic purposes. Some persons like to call it and say, well, okay, it's for therapeutic could be mean um, recreational, but therapeutic is really for persons who actually need it for therapeutic purposes. Much like several states in the USA that have legalized cannabis, Jamaica started its legal cannabis industry by enacting a medical program within the framework of decriminalization. As Tristan points out, penalties for minor possession were severe, despite widespread use and cultivation. The cannabis plant itself made its way to the island in the 1850s, thanks to indentured servants from India, while the British Empire controlled both nations. Thanks, imperialism! The term ganja is actually a Hindi word originating in Sanskrit, and was also picked up by Jamaicans along with other elements of cannabis culture, such as grow techniques and, of course, seeds. The plant wasn't banned in Jamaica until the 1913 ganja law, yes, that's what it was called, which was supported by the white elites and the Council of Evangelical Churches in the country. Sound familiar? Restrictions were tightened even further in 1941 and again in 1961. Around that time, cannabis farmers took advantage of the growing demand in Europe and North America, which resulted in more police enforcement, though that also meant corruption of law enforcement officers and politicians, thanks to the large sums of money from international trafficking. Anyone see a pattern developing here? Well, to break that mold, Jamaica enacted the Dangerous Drugs Act of 2015, which regulated the possession and smoking of ganja, its use by people of the Rastafarian faith, and its use for medical, therapeutic, and scientific purposes. 
But Jamaican lawmakers, realizing that their economy is heavily dependent on tourism, also took a different approach towards non-residents. As it relates to access or use, uh, foreigners can come to Jamaica and have access to cannabis by self-declaring. So they'll self-declare that they're a patient and that they need, uh, and that they need the medicine and they will be able to purchase it uh, from uh, the licensed herb houses. Now, as it relates to the commercial side of it, whereby which persons are issued or have to apply for licenses, we lobbied the government, and in so lobbying the government, we were successful in getting the government to make it law that 51% of all cannabis companies in Jamaica must be owned by a Jamaican resident. So we wanted to build a Jamaican industry, one way by which uh, the, 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 the country really and truly benefited. We wanted to foster partnership. It, we didn't want a, a situation whereby which a foreign company comes in, they own 100% of the company, IP, everything is all theirs, and everything uh, goes back to their home country. We didn't want that. We wanted to encourage partnership because in truth and right, we cannot develop this industry on our own because we need some outside capital. There's some also outside expertise that we may need as we get into the processing or the value-add products and so forth. So it does require partnership, and we wanted to foster partnerships. And that's why we have it at 51%. So that would be a, accurate, a more accurate um, annotation of, 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 what, of what it is. Now, remember that the government in every system, when you, when you create a system, it's then the people are the actors within that system that determines exactly what happens or how things um, play out. So the government, in their, to, their, to their credit, followed through with um, the 51%. But then we, are not, we, we don't know how that will play out with our own people now, whether or not they're going to act as proxies or they're, they're really going to, how they're really going to re really um, exercise the, the, the regulations. Um, to the benefit. But for the most part, the way how the industry is, we have foreign companies here, we have local companies here, so it's pretty diverse. And uh, it, to, in my opinion, uh, the, uh, the industry is developing um, developing well, and it, there, there are several legislative changes that, that could actually add um, a boost to it. But uh, we, I would say I have not seen the the, the, the same colonialization of Jamaican cannabis by um, foreign capital. I'm not seeing that right now. In contrast to the U.S., where states have medical programs for residents only, Jamaica has allowed for foreigners and tourists to purchase small amounts for medicinal or therapeutic use. The difference between the two? For medicinal use, you need a doctor's recommendation. For therapeutic use, you don't. Simple as that. Therapeutic is essentially another word for recreational, as understood by North Americans, though either way, you are getting some much-needed therapy. Having on-site consumption spaces is another aspect where Jamaica is ahead of the curve. It makes things much easier for everyone, law enforcement included, if people have a safe space to consume. 
The Jamaican government's approach to foreign companies with respect to cannabis is also an interesting one in that they realize they can't grow and be successful entirely on their own. Some outside capital as well as some know-how is necessary, as Tristan mentions. But Jamaica does have a history of either selling off their state-owned assets or being the victims of economic imperialism and or neocolonialism in the form of structural adjustment policies as dictated by the World Bank and International Monetary Fund. Now, these policies were IMF loans that required Jamaica to enact major economic reforms, including trade liberalization, privatization, and deregulation. Reforms were not successful and left the country with 4.6 billion U.S. dollars in debt. So no wonder people were skeptical of any type of foreign investment, and cannabis being such a vital part of Jamaican culture and increasingly its economy, it makes sense to enact some protections for the local population, hence the 51% ownership rule. I highly recommend the 2001 documentary film Life and Debt to get a better understanding of Jamaica's turbulent relationship with foreign capital. Well, speaking of turbulent relationships, I wanted to know more about the relationship between law enforcement and cannabis, particularly since decriminalization in 2015. But um, the Jamaican police, as I say, they're brutal, just the same like every other police force around the world. All right? They can be brutal. And that's one of the good things about the regulation that we were able to pass in 2015, the amendment of the Dangerous Drug Act, because what it did, it really, it really took from the police that, that enforcement power that they would have to detain a person for, for, for um, a spliff or for less than two ounces of, of cannabis, right? So what it really did, it really gave the people some, some, some right and to, to actually pretty much have the, the, the police um, go, go rethink the way how they, they were policing um, cannabis. I'll tell you this, right? So in 2015, when, when uh, I was working to get the High Times Cannabis Cup here in Jamaica with Danny Danko and his team over there in, at High Times, um, and also in conjunction with Ross IAV, uh, when we were working, working, working on that, we, we were able to really engage with the government and uh, the police um, to, to a good sense because we were given a, a permit whereby which we were able to transport uh, uh, transport up to 20 pounds of cannabis around the, around the, uh, around Jamaica um, to the, the, the site of the lo- uh, of the event all right for the cannabis cup. No, I'll tell you a story. And uh, Rick Kusick from High Times, yeah, um, he, he did a, he did an article on it. it. It's called the legal right. You probably could look it up. It, he gave a, a more detail um, a detail account of what happened and that um, whole whole journey collecting um, entries and so forth for uh, Rastafari Roots host and the High Times Cannabis Cup. So um, when we got to we we got to a, a, um, a point where we were stopped by the police and uh, the police came to the came to the window and said uh so we are we, we're doing a spot check for drugs and guns right and our, our driver replied to him yes we have drugs and guns and all of that i was quick to let them know that no we don't have any drugs but we have cannabis so uh, quickly, the policeman said, okay, pull over, pull over. There was a car in front of us. There was a car in front of us. And he, to- he signaled to his, to his squad to say, let that car go because he has something bigger right here. All right? <laughs> so <laughs> so, um, 
so he they, they all came up came abroad and so forth but i had our paperwork that was um that was given to us by um the minister of justice which was mark golden which was very instrumental in creating um this industry here and uh we i presented him with the with the permit and everything to that effect and he was like oh we've heard about you about you guys that you'll be around and everything to that effect um you guys are creating history Right. So wow. ever since then, our, our experience with the, with the police as related to cannabis has been quite um, fun in some sense. Uh, most of the cannabis events, because we do have exempt events here where cannabis is legal as a result of our, of our, of our work. And, and uh, police, police they, they, they provide their, their services there as it relates to directing traffic, keeping the peace and everything to that effect. So the, the, since 2015, the whole sentiment of the police as it relates to cannabis, it has changed. The policing of cannabis has changed. Now, they do enforce uh, their obligation under the Anti-Narcotic um, Act, Act for um, compressed cannabis to go out of the country and those, those kind of things. So they will oftentimes raid farms and so forth that are producing illegally, right? But for them, it's like something exciting, Right. After all, they're Jamaican they, and some of them, most of them understand that it's a part of our culture. Right. So the whole policing and cannabis for for uh, amounts which is less than two ounces and stuff, it has changed. Right. I have not heard of many negative interaction uh, with the police for cannabis purposes, for, for cannabis um, since the Mariadine incident that occurred prior to, to the amendment of the, of the dangerous drug act. Yes, I've been doing it since um, 2015 without any fear uh when we when we were doing the, the lobbying efforts and everything to that effect we had um the major news new news um station cover us and everything to that major press media uh so it's 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 a comfortable space for anybody who wants to get into cannabis to do uh to to, to do so all right it's it's not like you're going to become a target or anything to that effect so long as you stay within the law you shouldn't have a you shouldn't have an issue you stay within the law. You do you you do what 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 you what you need to do according to the law. You shouldn't have an issue with uh with, with the police. Mm-hmm. Um, we do, when it comes to if it if we're going to talk about um, police brutality and stuff, yes, the police force here in Jamaica still needs some some um some some work. Um, some say they should be disbanded and rebuilt and stuff like that because we do have some very bad apples within the force, um, but we also have some good ones. Right, and uh, customer service is not something which they are very big on, and so their interaction with people can sometimes be be a, a simple situation can escalate um, quite quickly. And if you you just have to search YouTube and you'll see some of those incidents and stuff like that, which could have been handled completely different for a better outcome. So, but when it comes to cannabis and so forth, we we're not hearing so much of uh, police brutality and police doing this and police doing that when it comes to um, a person within the confines of the law. Outside of the confines of the law, then you, you, may, you may hear some other story. It's a huge relief to hear that the Jamaican police is no longer going after cannabis consumers and legitimate businesses. After all, as Tristan said, the cops are Jamaican too, and are fully aware of the huge impact cannabis culture has had on the country and beyond. But therein lies a massive difference between police in Jamaica and police in the United States. In the U.S., in many cases, the police don't live in the areas they are ordered to patrol. 
They're effectively outsiders with no connection to the local community they're supposed to protect and serve. On top of that, cannabis has only been a pretext for stopping, frisking, arresting, beating, and in many cases, murdering people of color. Now, you might be thinking, geez, don't mix politics with cannabis, please, not now. I usually try to stay away from highly controversial and divisive topics on this podcast. But it wasn't me who brought politics into cannabis. Cannabis was politicized as soon as it was deemed illegal and prohibition was enacted. In the U.S., this began with a man called Harry J. Anslinger, who was the first commissioner of the U.S. Treasury Department's Federal Bureau of Narcotics during the presidencies of Hoover, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy. Quite the career. Anslinger used marijuana as an excuse to oppress Mexican immigrants and go after jazz musicians who, for the most part, were black. The declaration of the war on drugs by Richard I'm not a crook Nixon expanded the range of victims of police harassment to hippies and white anti-war students. But it wasn't until the just-say-no days of Ronald Reagan when the real horror for people of color began. In 1984, Reagan passed the Sentencing Reform Act, which eliminated probation and parole for certain drug offenses and mandated longer sentences for others. Since then, the U.S. prison population quadrupled and, as of 2016, was at around 2.3 million, mostly for nonviolent offenses, a large portion of which for cannabis. At its peak in 2008, the U.S. had an incarceration rate of 24.7% of the total global prison population. What's even more sinister about this situation is the fact that these prisoners weren't put there to be rehabilitated and released back into the general population. They were there as prison labor, which is enabled in the United States by the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which prohibits slavery except as a punishment for crime. Prison labor started with convict leasing during slavery and has ballooned into a billion-dollar industry rooted in the racially skewed nature of excessive incarceration. The abundance and use of prison labor, rather than being challenged by legislators, has been monetized through the sale of cheap labor to companies and state-funded entities, thereby supporting the expense of expanded incarceration and providing a hidden slave labor force. Some companies that use or have used prison labor in the past? Microsoft, McDonald's, Walmart, JCPenney, Motorola, Compaq, Honeywell, Boeing, Revlon, Starbucks, Whole Foods, Chevron, BP, Victoria's Secret, Eddie Bauer, American Airlines, Lockheed Martin, and Raytheon. Even former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg used prison labor to make campaign phone calls when he was running for the Democratic nomination. So it's impossible to not mix cannabis with politics. In fact, cannabis is a highly political subject, and judging by those currently in power, that won't change anytime soon. However, with the recent events in the U.S. regarding police brutality and the rebellion by people of color, change could be closer than we think. 2020 has been one crazy ride so far, so watch this space. Now, getting back to Jamaica, however, with ganja being so deeply rooted in the culture... I wanted to know whether there is or was a stigma around cannabis. All right. So I do not use cannabis, nor do I drink. All right. But um, b- before it, it, um, the, or, or tradition, because of how colonialism was and how persons were trained to, t- to, to think, there was a huge stigma as it relates to cannabis. But now with the advent of um, persons, more persons, knowing about the medicinal um, benefits of cannabis, it's actually um, changing. You still have some persons who are really into church and, and, and the, the secular thought process of yesterday that may still hold some stigma um, to, to cannabis, right? 
but we, we see persons from all social class here in Jamaica um, use cannabis. So, so because of that, and because our population is 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 uh, much younger, uh, we, we're seeing that slowly dissipate to a point where by which um, cannabis use, cannabis use um, by by an individual um, is is okay so long as they are using it for um, the right right reasons. There are still cases whereby which it needs to be it needs to be um, to be controlled, especially when it comes to 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 um, underage um, the kids, teen, teens, and so forth, which may try to abuse it for 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 whatever purpose, because it does have a psychoactive effect, and uh, and science have proven that if we're, whereby which some in some cases where the brain is not properly developed, it can have some adverse effects. But when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, the stigma, it's, we can see it um, slowly dissipating because now a Rastaman is actually um, is actually celebrated, right? Mm-hmm. A Rastaman is now actually celebrated because the, 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 the represent the, what Rasta actually symbolizes somebody is peaceful and so forth. We still have some rotten apples among them, yes, but uh, for the most part, the respect that they didn't have, they are getting it now. Right, and we're seeing it from even our, our government because. There was one atrocity that was committed against the Rastafari, which was um, in the Coral Gardens, and the government uh, act- actually, and the government are the party that actually was in government at the time when it was done. They accepted um, responsibility, apologized, and they they are now even in the process. If they haven't already set up a trust fund um, for persons who who who, who um, were victims in that in that in that period, so. Uh, it, it's changing. The stigma uh, that was there, it, it's changing. We're not fully there, but it's changing. A matter of fact, uh, contrary to popular belief, most people in Jamaica don't don't smoke. So w- one of the things uh, I would say, though, is that uh, cannabis, cannabis is intertwined into so many persons' life because cannabis was the reason for a lot of persons to get, get a college education. It was a. It's a reason for a lot of persons to be able to put food on their table. It, it, it's it, it for a lot of persons. Cannabis. It, it, it's maybe they don't use it, but the economic uh, returns from cannabis. It, it, it can change a community. But you weren't expecting to hear Tristan is not a smoker. Well, as it so happens, not all cannabis smokers in Jamaica are Rastafarians. However, not all Rastafarians smoke cannabis either. And surprisingly enough, despite the deep cultural connections and the associations with Jamaican culture around the world, most Jamaicans don't even bother with cannabis, as Tristan mentions, at least for now. But to hear that Rastafari are now celebrated and not seen as pariahs is a huge step forward in the normalization of cannabis use. If the trend continues, ganja use will soon be as edgy and controversial as having Jamaican rum punch while lying in a hammock on the beach. Now, there's one last topic about Jamaican ganja that I'm sure is on a lot of people's minds. What kind of cannabis is grown in Jamaica? Is it exclusively local land races, or has the island been flooded with varieties from abroad? All right, so we, ha- we have a mix of both. Uh, anything that you can find anywhere in the world, it- it's right here in Jamaica, too. Uh, we have our native strains that have been climatized uh, to, 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 to Jamaica and stuff, and some of our growers, they are actually actively creating new new genetics, uh, breeding different and more unique strains, right? Since prohib- since, since uh, we, we passed the Dangerous Drug Act and decriminalized cannabis, now the quality of cannabis that we are seeing is, is so 
it's it's on a whole different level because now we have cannabis that is cultivated outdoor, which is testing above twenty seven percent THC uh, uh, with 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 no E. coli and none of those um, contaminants, which um, which which would really diminish the quality of the product, right? So, and this is just because first we're able to really to really spend the time to provide the right care to the product among other 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 being able to access um the right the the, the right um nutrient types in terms of uh, in terms of doing their compost and those kind of stuff to really provide that level of care that the plant requires to really reach its full potential right so uh, i'll say uh when it comes to land races we still have um lamb's bread uh, a lot of persons that thought it was like dead and gone but it's still around uh it's pro- it's getting very popular now especially when you go to have uh, some to to to, to some public uh, some establishment because it grows into such a big tree that for a lot of people it's fascinating right mm-hmm. so uh we, we we have we have strains here from afghanistan africa us uh, canada uh, uh, um, europe so we, we do have um, a wide variety of strains here that that are um, that are being bred to create new genetics. Well, see, um, when, when it comes to um, our what what we have here, for the most part, for years, um, you have different growers who have access to different strains. Uh, how they get the seeds, I can't say, but um, they they have been using. Our local local um, land races to create to to create different genetics with some of these imported strains. Watch this space, guys, because something tells me Jamaican cannabis is going to be making some headlines in the near future. All right, so any advice for young ganjapreneurs? What I would tell most most kids now that is, that is growing up is is this: stay in school, and while they're in school, try to learn things that are actual that that are actually useful to to what they what they what they intend to do i would like i i like to say that if there's anything which teaches entrepreneurship they should really take a take a take a keen interest in entrepreneurship because for the most part when when they go to school it's really preparing them to go get a job but if they go there in a sense of with a thought process of saying that I want to learn how to run a business, start a business, then they will pay attention to what um, the subject matters that will really help them to do this, right? And then the next thing is to think big. There's no, there, there's nothing, there's nothing that we can't do. If we think about it, we can do it. If it comes to mind, we can do it. So think big and try to broaden their horizon as much as possible. The internet right now, um, pretty much. Tear down the, the barriers. I remember when I was growing up, the only professions were be, becoming a teacher, a lawyer, a policeman, or probably the prime minister. If you have a, if you had a high ambition, right? But now with the internet, you can actually see different professions. You can also see different business lines that you want to get into. So I, I'd say say um, utilize all the resources and don't wait until you actually get out of school and then you come out of school with with nothing you have nothing of value to add to society and then you're just wandering around like a we will say like a plastic bag blowing in the wind 
That is some fine Caribbean wisdom right there. So if we want to contact Tristan, where can we find him? All right. So the best way to get to us is, um, is via Instagram or via our website, which is T-A-C-A-Y-A.com. That's Takaya.com. Or uh, you can find us on Instagram, which is at TakayaGroup.com. Or you can get to us um, by phone at 876-622-9948. And last but not least, we bid Tristan a fond farewell. So, uh, Tristan Thompson, thank you for the fantastic eye-opening conversation. Uh, it's a fresh new perspective on cannabis in Jamaica that uh, many people aren't aware of. So, uh, thank you for the insight. Good luck with Blue Eye and the Takaya Group and any other projects that uh, you might be working on. And hopefully, we can cross uh, paths again soon. Yes, Bogdan. Um, it's, it's a pleasure to be on your program. Thanks for reaching out. And uh, thanks to, to Danny for... Um, introducing me to you uh, it, it, it's a pleasure speaking speaking to you and i wish you and your podcast all the best all right and uh sometime you probably should come to jamaica and do do, do an actual one here in jamaica you know come to the rock come to the rock i will as soon as they let me get on a plane now that was episode 41 of the critical grass podcast once again many many thanks to tristan thompson for being such a pro and a gentleman for taking the time out of his very busy schedule to chat with me fingers crossed we get to do a redux in jamaica now in connection with the events taking place in the usa after the murder of george floyd by racist police i did want to say a couple of quick words this is a difficult subject for everyone, but especially for African Americans, as their situation doesn't seem to change very much, despite what politicians and the media say year after year. Black lives not only matter, black lives are worthy, they are beloved, and they are needed. Without black lives, the United States of America wouldn't have been built. Black lives provide everyone with cultural icons, artists, musicians, athletes, cooks, caretakers, teachers, professors, drivers, couriers, and pretty much all forms of essential work. We idolize the likes of Michael Jordan, Maya Angelou, Martin Luther King, Angela Davis, Jimi Hendrix, Harriet Tubman, Dave Chappelle, Cornel West, and countless others, without whom our lives would be so dull and so empty. Renaming streets and plazas to Black Lives Matter is a nice gesture, but it's not enough. That won't make systemic racism and police brutality go away. We need a change in the way we think and behave. Actions, not words. And we should allow black lives to lead the way. It's the least the world could do for them. Thanks for listening, everyone. Feel free to share this episode with others you think might enjoy it. We'll be back soon with another episode, so don't change that channel. My name, as always, is Bogdan. Walk good and lick more. Peace.